Scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Good morning. Good to see everybody in this Lord's Day. Good to be together. And appreciate that scripture reading for us. It gives us a good introduction of our study. I think I may turn this into a series. I want to look at the subject of modesty and purity and what the Bible has to say about that this morning. We're going to look at the subject of biblical modesty. And this question right here, this first question is probably very obvious to you. Uh, you turn on your television, you already got the answer to this. Uh, you go out to the beach, you walk through Walmart even. You go through almost anywhere in Florida this time of the year. You're going to see some things that would certainly be in contrast to modesty. So do we live in a modest society? The answer to that is no. Uh, when we think about modesty, usually we think about what we're wearing, the lack of clothing, how tight it is, and things like that. I think we should also be thinking about what Chris had read for us right there from Ephesians chapter 5, our speech, how we talk, what comes out of our mouth, what we're listening to. That also is a part of our modesty and whether we are speaking something that is obscene or wrong and something that certainly we need to change and, and put away and get away from. Modesty also includes this in the scriptures. And if you notice those passages about modesty, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2, they often talk about individuals, especially uh, women, elaborately braiding their hair and putting gold and pearls in them. You have another passage in James chapter 2 where James instructs these Christians, when someone comes into your assembly and comes into your building and you give preference to the man who is dressed nicely, who is wealthy, rather than the, than the person who is dressed poorly or even modestly, who is not wealthy, that that has a sin of partiality in it. So we ask the question, we live in a modest society. I can't say that we do. Everywhere I look, you see immodesty. You see individuals boasting. I grew up in a congregation of a thousand members, one of the congregations I was in. And in the congregation, there was this, this kind of status that everybody wanted to, to have in the church. And so individuals would drive the nicest cars. They would talk about their children going to the best private school. They would wear the nicest suits. Very beautiful building, but some of it became very immodest in the way that they talked, in the way that they spoke, in the way that they presented themselves. So as we're talking about this this morning, we want to certainly be including all of those matters in the subject of modesty. But I think we're going to specifically look at what would be immodest and what would be impure, sexually impure. I'm going to look at some passages on that. What we see in the Scriptures is that we're in a war. The Bible tells us that. It continually warns us about sensuality. Well, what is sensuality? The Greek word is asageia. That means, it means an ungodliness. It means lewdness. It means a display of what is certainly immoral. At 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. God has created man and woman to come together and belong together. He has given them desires to do that. But humanity has corrupted that. 
Society has changed it. As some have said, well, a man can do this and a woman can do that. And every way that you can possibly think of perverting that is out there. It's on the Internet. It's on the street. You can be a part of it. And you can find it if you go looking for it. But the Scriptures here tell us to abstain from it. The Greek word again here means to keep away from it, keep a distance from it. I think that's one of the great advices of Scripture when it comes to certain sins like that is that I want to stay away from it. Also in our society, this is what I hear today. I hear some individuals saying, well, all the men today are filled with lust and their eyes. It's all them that they have been perverted. And that is very true. There's a lot of that. But there's a, it's a two-way street there when it comes to modesty. And the Bible talks about those who will entice others to lust. And that could be men. It could be women. It could be false teachers. Those who are putting themselves off as a teacher, whether in a school or even in church, a minister, a Bible class teacher can do the exact same thing. And the Bible warns us about that. We're going to look at a passage in a moment. If you have your Bible, open with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at some of those passages right now. Warnings about enticing others. So you have the Bible, you have Christ saying in Matthew chapter 5, do not look to lust. He, he doesn't say don't just lust. He says do not even look to do it. And on the other side, he's, he gives this warning about those who will try to allure and entice others to do that and how it is wrong. In fact, 2 Peter 2 and verse 18 says that it defines lewdness for us, asageia. And it says that it means to entice others to the passions of the flesh. So look with me here in 2 Peter chapter 2. And let's read a few of these passages here. And we'll make some observations about them. 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And there are some today who come into churches who teach against, actually speak against Christ. And there's something about them. There's a, a perversion behind it. And he says here in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality. They'll follow their lewdness, their sensuality. And he says, Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Isn't that true? Don't you often hear sometimes of some deacon or a preacher in a congregation living in a moral life? He brings shame on that congregation. And people will blaspheme. A lot of people today will blaspheme Christianity and say, well, you look at these people who claim to be Christians, look at the way that they're behaving and the way that they're acting and how immoral it is. And so they will blaspheme the way of truth. Look here in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their greed, their lust, their desire. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And then it continues on. Look down with me in verses 9 and 10, 9 and 10. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. You have these warnings against false teachers. And Peter's not the only one that warns against this in 2 Peter chapter 2. Here it is, his final testament, his warning to them. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for individuals like this who come in. Continue reading with me. Look down in verses 12 and following. He says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters that they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their, their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing, 
They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. You remember what Balaam did? Balaam was a prophet, and he was asked to curse Israel. And he went to curse every time, but God caused him to prophesy blessings on Israel. This is before they went into the land of paradise, the land of promise that was given to them. And what happened? Well, Balaam said, here's what you can do. Get the women from Midian to come down and to entice them to fornicate with them. Then you can lure Israel away. God will become angry with them and he will punish them. And you can read about this in Numbers, Numbers 25, 26, and 31. You can read about what happened to them and the devastation there, how many that died, the thousands that died because of that sin. Well, here's Balaam. Here he is, this man who is supposed to be a prophet of God, and yet he tells the enemy, Balak, how to overcome the king of Moab, how to come overcome Israel, cause them to sin. And the same happens today. The deception and evil will want us to sin. False teachers come along teaching the same thing. Just allure them away. Look at verse 16. Because of this wrongdoing of Balaam, but was rebuked for his own transgression. Rebuked by who? A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Sometimes such foolish people like that need a donkey to speak to them, to correct them. And this man needed that because of his foolishness. Continue reading. These false teachers, he says, they are waterless springs. They are misdriven by the storm. For them, the gloom of utter and darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person so that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they again entangle themselves, entangled in them again and overcome. And the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. We have these pictures. It's in Jude as well. And these false teachers, these men who are all about impurity. Their eyes are full of adultery, as the scriptures say right here. And these are some characteristics we see. Impurity has been a characteristic of false teachers. People blaspheme the way of truth because of such individuals. And it says here in the text, they will not escape punishment, and neither will we if we go along with it, and they have eyes full of adultery. What's the answer to this? How do you stay away from this type of sin? Well, Jude addresses the same kind of false teacher, and here's his answer in the end, Jude 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is what you do. Build yourself up in your faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In other words, be a part of the gospel. Be a part of what it means to be a Christian. 
Love God, follow him, pray, be faithful, stay away from those types of sin, and you can stay away from those kind of false teachers, those people that will lure you astray. Those false teachers are on our TV when we turn them on who tell us it's okay. It's a part of society when it says when you go to the beach, you can wear less than what you wear when you go to bed at night. You have that same teaching all the time, that same kind of encouragement that you can live and behave however you want to in a modest fashion. And again today, people will say, well, I can dress and I can wear whatever I want to. I can barely wear anything. If anybody lusts over me, it's their fault. What does the scripture say? It goes both ways. Whose fault is it when one tempts another? Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 1, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And he pronounces judgment against them. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks to the Corinthians. He says, don't do anything that will lead your brother or sister away. Don't go eat in a temple even though you don't believe in that God and you think there's nothing wrong with it. And you eat of that meat and then they see you do it and they go back into worshiping that same God. You have that warning there. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Do what's right to encourage others, to uplift those around you, not to tempt your brothers and sisters or those in the world or to present yourself as immodest. And the Bible continues to instruct us and give us warnings about sensuality, impurity, lust, and sex, sexual immorality. Look with me one more for another reading. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Listen to what Paul says. This is what you do with these types of sin. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Bury it. Crucify the old person. And when you've been baptized, you bury that old person. However, he's speaking to individuals who have already been raised up with Christ from baptism. He says, those sins, you've got to kill them. They've got to die. And he lists them. He says, sexual immorality. Then it says impurity. The word here for impurity means uncleanness. It includes other sexual sins. He says, that needs to end. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And I think all the words he's using right there is specifically talking about these types of sin, sexual sins. He says they're idolatry. And most of the idols, if you ever looked across history, the Asherah and others, they're all based upon, and most of them are based upon sexual sins. They involve prostitutes or some other kind of strange things. Look at verse 6. It says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I wanted to read that and emphasize that as well. That obscene talk needs to be put away. The filthy talk, the dirty jokes, anything that is to allure and talk to others, flirting with a coworker that you're not married to and you shouldn't be talking to in that way, that needs to be put away. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. This is what you do. Put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. Follow after God. Listen to Him. Put these things to death and put on the new self. This is what observations I see from the text. Put to death these sins. God's wrath is coming upon those who practice them. In fact, the passage that Chris read from us said they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice lewdness will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who practice that kind of speech and talk like that to others who have that kind of obscene talk, it says right there, go read it again, Ephesians chapter 5, those who talk that way, verse 5, 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 20 says, those who practice lewdness, sensuality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So put away obscene talk. And the answer is, if you've got to make a change, the gospel of Christ has got to have such an effect on you that you say, I'm not going to be part of that anymore. I know what the world says. I know how it says that I, I should fulfill my desires in any way I want to, and I might rationalize it, but Christ has set the example for us. He's died. He lived a sinless life. He was buried and rose again. And that example is for us to put to death that sin, to bury it in baptism, to rise up in the newness of life, to put to death the old person. I know it's a struggle. For many, it's a struggle not to be pulled back into it, not to be tempted by old friends to go back to it. But he says, put on the new person. And it's going to take conviction to do this. What is lewdness and sensuality? The Bible tells us very clearly. It can include... Wearing revealing clothing, a lack of clothing, sensual dancing, provocative talk, touching, or even intoxication can be tied into this. Leviticus chapter 18 gives a long description of what it is to fornicate and what kind of immorality this is. We see this throughout the Bible. Again, Galatians 5 says, those who practice lewdness will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, he described it more than once. He said that sexual immorality, adultery, and sensuality lewdness, this kind of obscene kind of lifestyle, this immodest lifestyle, that these are all evil things that come from within and they defile a person. And if any of you have ever struggled with these sins, and as, he's, as Paul said to the Colossians and he said to Ephesians, you once walked in them, you once lived in them, most likely most of us in here have come across these sins, have faced them, have even practiced them. We know how much these things take us away from God. We know how much they corrupt us and they, they change us and they alter us and they pull us away from the truth. We need to put them to an end. I encourage you this morning, look at what the Scripture says about modesty. The Bible does instruct modesty and it specifically addresses women. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9-10 through 10 says, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And you'll find the similar passages in 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. But the Scriptures exhort men and women to live pure lives and to avoid obscenity. I think a lot of people today ask the question, what is modest and immodest? And I think the best example we have for that comes from Genesis. You remember Eve took the fruit from the tree, gave it to Adam, they ate, they knew of what was right and wrong. They knew that they were naked. It says right there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 that they were naked in the garden and they were not ashamed. Listen to this, Genesis 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of, of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. I like this translation because the word loincloth there, the figs that they, the leaves they put together was like a sash. This word is used throughout the Old Testament and it's a very small covering. I think the covering that Adam and Eve put on probably was a lot more than what bikinis covered today. But you know what the scriptures say? God addresses them, and they're still hiding. And why are they hiding? They made these big, these big leaves. They've covered themselves with these sashes. But they tell God, we're still hiding because we're still naked. We still don't have enough clothes on. So what does God do? It says here in Genesis 3 and verse 21, And the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments, of skins and clothe them. The Hebrew word there for garment or tunic means something that hangs down from the shoulders. It goes from the shoulders down. 
I don't think that this was clothing that was kind of painted on their body. They had loose clothing. It covered, and it covered any kind of immodesty and shame, and it hung down to where from the shoulders down, you would not see anything. And I believe if we look in the scriptures here that this is a good rule and a standard for us. What is it to be naked and to be immodest? It is to be uncovered in that part of our body. And this goes for who? Adam and Eve, man and woman. Hope you'll think about that. Usually we'll go along, and I know, go over such a lesson like this and to study it, and a few days later, or a few weeks later, we're going to go do something. I'm going to go work out in the yard. We're going to go to the beach. And this conviction we come to, and what we see in the Scriptures, will soon go out the window. I hope it doesn't. When we're struggling with these sins, what's the answer? Because this morning I could just stand up here and tell you, this is what's wrong. Stop doing it. What's the Bible say? The gospel compels you by the love of Christ. When you increase that, that love for him and you increase your knowledge for Jesus, you will have the conviction that you're going to put away these sins. I don't want a part of it anymore. I don't desire it anymore. My conviction, my deepest conviction is to put an end to it. I don't want to see my brothers and sisters around me do it. I don't want my family members to be engaged in this, any kind of obscenity or immodesty. And here's the answer. It might seem a little ambiguous at first, but listen to it. Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by God's Word, the truth. Be in church. Be in Bible study. Study with others. Pray with others. Encourage one another. You need one another to do that. Stir one another to love and good works. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And if you're a Christian and you've been in the war and in the conflict, you know that's true. You know that the sin that's appealing out there that's trying to pull us away is in contrast to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God that should be on our heart. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you want to do the right thing, you've got to be filled with the Spirit, with the truth, with the doctrine. And then Paul goes on to explain here. Look in Galatians 5, 25 to 26. How does someone walk by the Spirit? If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And I think those words right there, you can very much change it. Provoking one another, that is alluring one another, pushing one another to sin, and envying one another, causing others to lust and to covet in a way that the Bible teaches us not to. That's not walking in the Spirit. And then Christians must help each other if we're caught in sin. The very next verse, Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And you know, you know when there's a situation where you can help somebody and not be tempted, and where if you try to help them, you will be. Be careful about that. Look out for your brothers and sisters and help them, encourage them to stay away from such sin. And I think here's some good biblical advice before we finish this morning. How should men perceive young women? What's the Bible saying? Paul wrote to Timothy, and I remember... When I hear what Paul said to Timothy right here, I remember listening to old Marshall Keeble sermons. And Marshall Keeble would preach, and he would preach to, to other preachers, and he would tell those preachers, you know, you wear your nice suits and your nice ties, and you like the attention of the young women, but that's going to lead you astray. And here we have Paul telling this young preacher, evangelist Timothy, the same thing. And if the ministers need to be warned, all people need to be warned in the church. He says, do not rebuke an older man, 
but encourage him as you would your father. A lot of good advice here. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Men who are struggling with these sins need to look around and see their sisters as not as objects of lust, but as sisters in Christ that Christ died for. And with that kind of mentality, you can overcome such sin. I think another application for us this morning, Romans 14 and verse 23 says, if you do something and you doubt it, it is what? It's sin. Romans 14, 23. If you doubt it and you do it, it's sin. If you do not know what to wear and you have doubts about it, don't wear it. I remember Jim, he would get up here and preach and he would always give that illustration where he would ask his mother, you know, are my clothes clean or are they dirty? And his mother would always say to him, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. If it's doubtful, stay away from it. One of my statements to Rachel, I've always talked about this, what I thought about modesty. I said, if you look good enough to wear revealing clothing or less clothing, don't do it. If you don't look good enough, please don't do it. And if you're somewhere in between, don't confuse everybody, okay? I think that's a good principle. When we look at what the Scriptures say, don't do things that are doubtful. Make sure that you are wearing something that you can say, what I am wearing is modest so I could glorify God and uphold his standard of what is right and wrong. And then I've often also heard the comment, if someone can't look at you where you're clothed or where you're unclothed, you are not dressed modestly. I'm going to let you think about that, what that means. But if you're wearing very little clothing, they can't look at where you're clothed and they can't look at where you're unclothed. So how do people rationalize immodesty? This is what happens. I'm the exception to the rule. Oftentimes we'll say, well, this person is dressed much more immodest than I am. They're wearing less clothing than me, so I'm justified by what I'm wearing. Don't let other people be your standard. Go to the Word. Go to the Gospel. You know what will tempt others. But this is the way that sin works. Eve, in the very beginning, justified it and rationalized it along with listening to Satan that she took from the fruit from the tree. Adam justified it as well when the woman gave it to him. He rationalized it. He said, well, it's okay. And we still do the same thing today. We'll find that one sin, that one thing, and we'll say, well, it's okay for me. Let's not do that. Let's uphold God's word, live in the love of Christ. He died for us and rose again. I encourage you to challenge you this morning, dress modestly and stand for what is right. Put away obscene speech and be filled with the Spirit to overcome temptations. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you can become one. The Bible says the power of God to salvation is the gospel. This is how you're saved, Romans 1 and verse 16. The power of God to salvation is the gospel. And that gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to believe and confess that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he is the Lord. Confess, that, that's what it means to confess him as the Son of God. And confessing him, you repent, you put to death that sin, you're buried in the waters of baptism, You've died with Christ. It is from then you have new life when you rise from baptism. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, 9 through 11. He says, The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul saying here? Go back to the gospel. Die with him. Rise up again. Bear with the sufferings of this life to know the power of the resurrection, to have a hope that one day you will rise like Christ rose. How does someone become like Christ in death again? Be baptized. 
die to the sins of the world, rise up with Christ. This morning, if you haven't become a Christian, obey the gospel. If you need prayers and encouragement, we want to encourage you. We encourage you right now. We encourage you, whatever your needs may be, if you need prayers, you need to obey the gospel. Come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.